Good morning, Peachtree. It is so good to be with you, to see you, even though it's virtual, uh, for us to be able to get to be together, to gather around God's word, to be able to celebrate and rejoice and recalibrate our lives according to the rhythm of God's grace. You know, one of the things that I like to do that reminds me of the fullness of God's goodness, I, I like to walk through the hallway at the church. And you're like, walk through the hallway at the church? What does that have to do with God's goodness? Well, if you've ever been down the main corridor of the Peachtree campus, you know that we have these large pictures and they cover all the different dimensions of ministry, like this one here. Uh, in fact, our high schoolers just got back from Camp Rutledge and you walk a little further and you'll walk by some children rejoicing and celebrating. It reminds me to not only pray for our students, but for the kids and the families of our church. You walk by this next picture and you're reminded that Christmas is a year-long celebration. The beauty and the wonder and the joy and the majesty of God coming to be with us, to be enthroned as king, is not something that can be contained to the month of December. I walk by this picture and I'm reminded to pray for our first responders, our police officers, our firefighters, and the unique partnership that we at Peachtree have with the Atlanta police and fire departments. And then there's this great picture. It reminds me of the great celebrations, the great weddings that have taken place, and uh, not only in this congregation, but that we as pastors get a front row seat. And there's something in particular I love about this picture. And it's not the joy on Laura's face, the bride, as she is now walking out the aisle, or maybe the little bit of fear on the husband's uh, face, or the attentiveness of the bridesmaid, the maid of honor, or, or even kind of the joyful satisfaction of Chuck having done a great wedding for the young family. No, it's this little detail of the picture that if you look closely, you get to see this absolutely candid, captured moment of one of the bridesmaids who has this look of surprise, maybe even a little bit of disgust in her face. Um, I have no idea what this young woman, this bridesmaid, was thinking when she was surprised by something uh, at the wedding. But here's what I do know. I do know that weddings are emotional amazing moments in our lives and that Jesus tells a fantastic story about a wedding. Now, part of what we need to understand, you read your Bibles, you come across it, and it says this is the parable of the ten virgins. Um, one of the ways to just easily kind of translate the way that this passage really understands it is, is that this is the, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, these young women, and there's a subversive twist to what Jesus offers in telling the story. According to the research of Kenneth Bailey, in the Jewish day and age, one of the things that you need to know is that you know, if you go back and look at stories of rabbis and stories of people at that time, um, people didn't tell many stories about women. And then the second thing you need to know in particular in the Jewish culture that you needed 10 kind of men in order to make a valid wedding. And you needed 10 men in order to have a valid Passover celebration. Now, there were some exceptions, but in general, that's what you needed in order for the community to be present. And yet Jesus tells this story about 10 young women who are bridesmaids. And he asks the question of whether or not they're really ready for the wedding feast. Let's look at the story together. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lampstand and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps and the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps and the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open up the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. May God bless not only the hearing and the receiving, but also the, the putting into practice of this his holy word. And this part of God's word is a hard story, not just to understand, but to receive. It comes as one of the last stories that Jesus tells in his ministry. And it's a series of warnings, of cautions, of admonishments. And in the midst of those warnings, he says things like in the story of the separation of the sheep and the goats, he says, do not be indifferent. I'm there and you need to be compassionate. Another warning he gives, which is the story that's immediately following the story of the 10 bridesmaids, is a warning to each and every one of us to, to not bury our talents, to, to not squander the resources, the gifts, the, the beauty that God has given to each and every one of us but to invest them for kingdom purposes and that we're not to be afraid. And then here we have a very specific warning. It is the warning to make sure that we are ready. Don't be caught off guard. And what is it that we're supposed to be ready for? We're supposed to be ready for the bridegroom to be delayed. You know, we often think about, you know, the bridegroom in many of the parables in their testament of, of him showing up too quickly. What we're about to find out is how we need to be ready for the long haul. And so today I want to talk to you about what is it like for you to have a faith uh, that will be ready, a life that is ready for the long haul. And we're going to talk about that in three different ways through this story. One that it takes devotion and not just emotion. Two, that it takes ownership and not just fellowship. And three, it takes trust and not just tasks. And so first let's talk about devotion, not just emotion. And let's do that by looking at this scripture here. In the text, it says this. It's almost like a control group and experiment group. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. And the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. And the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Do you see the difference between the two? They're both excited for the, bride, for the groomsmen to come. They're bridesmaids and they are enthusiastic for that to be the case. But one of the set of the bridesmaids was ready in the sense of that they had saved the oil, they had, were prepared for that moment, and the others were not prepared. 
One of the ways that I helped to pay the bills when I was in college and in graduate school is that I would coach and I would teach tennis. And one of kind of the fun things about teaching tennis, particularly to kids, and one of the most important things that you have to tell them, the most basic thing in the world is what we call ready position. And that is like the you know, you've got the you've got the racket right at eye level and and you are ready for whatever is going to come your way. One of the things you need to know about teaching kids is that is that oftentimes they think that they're ready, but they're not really ready. You're like, are you ready? And they'll be standing there looking around and they're holding their racket way down here. And and then all of a sudden the ball comes at them and they have to they have to get ready at the last second. And so one of the things that we have to do to coach them is to coach them of, of that readiness is a posture. Readiness is a position in a a preparation for the ball to come, whether it's to your backhand or to your forehand, whether it's a volley, whatever it is, you want to be in ready position so that you can react and respond when it's time. You know, I meet a lot of Christians who say that they are enthusiastic in their love for God, and yet they don't have a life that really is ready for his kingdom, his presence, his coming, his goodness in our everyday life. The way, that, the way that Kyle Eidelman describes the difference is he describes a fan versus a follower of Jesus. Are you an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus or are you a devoted disciple? And the difference between these two primarily for me is our state of readiness, our posture, our position about whether or not we really are actively and proactively seeking to be in that relationship and partnership with God in the world. Um, there's some research that was done by a guy by the name of Christian Smith, who has probably surveyed more young people in their um, perspectives on faith in the United States than anybody else in history. And he says that we as Christians in America have a very strong emotional connection to our faith, but we aren't necessarily very devoted to our faith. Some of the language that they use is that Kinda Dean puts it like this. She says that we are Christian-ish. We're almost Christian, but not really Christian. It's more like a brand loyalty than it is a true devotion. And the founder of our Presbyterian church, uh, John Calvin, put it like this. Keen enthusiasm for a short short term is not enough unless accompanied by long, unwearying effort. Are you ready for that long, untired, steadfast effort of God being delayed in your life? A lot of people think that their prayers are supposed to be answered right away. A lot of people think that everything is supposed to be automatic and easy. And what we have to be prepared for as people who are waiting for the great celebration, the great feast of the union of all things, you know what we have to be prepared for? that long, unwearying effort of being patient and being devoted even when you don't know how things are going to work out. And so it takes devotion and not just emotion to be ready for the long haul. And then secondly, it also takes a sense of ownership and not just fellowship. A sense of ownership and not just fellowship. Here's how the text describes it. 
The foolish ones, the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And you know, this almost sounds like an, you know, kind of a, a, an unchristian thing to do, that the people who have oil won't share with the people who don't have oil. Didn't Jesus teach us to share? Didn't Jesus teach us to be generous? Uh, the point of the story is, is that if they share their oil, then all of their lamps will go out before the celebration, before they're able to do the processional to get the, the bridegroom to the home where he belongs and the bride belongs. And so it's not a lack of compassion that they won't share their oil. It's the logistic of if they do so, they'll all run out. And so they say no. My friends, there are some things that cannot be borrowed. You can lean on someone else's faith for a period of time, but you can't borrow their faith. When I was in college, I went to go visit with this man. He was the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. He was the pastor there for over 34 years, and he and I sat down in his office, and he asked me the question of when was the first time you seriously doubted? I told him, he nodded his head and he said, let me tell you why I asked that question. He said, you grew up in a Christian home and um, until you realize that your faith is your own, you can't just keep riding the coattails of your family's faith. My grandfather on my mom's side of the family, Bob Clark, um, I, I used to see his obsession with the great evangelist, Billy Sunday. I'd lived with granddad for several moments of my life, and he had several books on his nightstand when I was living with him about Billy Sunday. And this was one of granddad's favorite quotes about Billy Sunday. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. It's great for us to have fellowship. It's great for us to have a Christian family. It is great for us to be surrounded by people who are of faith. But that does not do away with the responsibility that we have individually to be ready. Just because they were asked to be a bridesmaid and that they were surrounded by other bridesmaids didn't make them prepared for the moment that the bridegroom would come. And the same thing is true for you and me. You may have grown up in church. You may have been going to church your whole life. You may be an adult going to church. You, you may be a part of church and in every dimension. That's a good thing. But it doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you that devoted disciple, that attentive and ready for Christ to come. Are you ready for the long haul? It takes devotion and not just emotion. It takes ownership and not just fellowship. And it takes trust and not just tasks. Here's what happens towards the end. They go off, they get the oil, they come back, they think they've checked the box, and then Jesus replies, truly I tell you, I don't know you. There's a strong echo to this, to the teaching of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For truly I will tell them on that day. And then what we discover is that there are people 
who have lived their life in such a way is that they don't want anything to do with God. And Jesus asks the question, the haunting question, wait, do I, do I even know you? A couple weekends ago, I got to go to my 30th high school reunion. I want to show you a picture of uh, our gathering. And I graduated with 24 people. And so this is the vast majority of my class. And uh, it was great to catch up. And I mean, I literally hadn't seen any of these people for 30 years. And when we got to the dinner, we sat down and I'm seated next to three other people at the table. I'm seated next to a guy who is a lapsed Catholic, non-practicing anymore. I'm sitting across from a person who was a philosophy uh, major and philosophy uh, master student in college. And I've got another person who's catty corner to us and the four of us are talking together. That, that other person is a strident atheist. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, but, but it's not. And then the pastor sits down um, and, and we start talking and, and we get into it. I mean, I mean, it's like literally like, are we really going there? I mean, it, transgenderism, abortion, I mean, we just lean into these topics of which you can imagine we have very divergent views and we get to even just the basics of belief in God and our voices are getting pitched and um, it, was, it was a firm and loving conversation and everybody's head is watching us at the table because we're at the center of the table. People are like, I cannot believe we're at our 30th reunion and they are totally like getting into the religion discussion um, and, and we're doing so. And the, the atheist just, he says, you know, I, I just can't handle all the dogma. And I start describing for him what we do as a church and what we do in anti-human trafficking, what we do in partnership with the police and fire, what we do in Malawi, all the different mission things that we do in this city and around the world. And he's like, don't get me wrong, I respect all that. I just can't handle all that dogma. And I said, you know what? We do all of those things because of what we believe. Because of what we believe about God, that's... That's why we do those things. For you see, the things that we believe, they're not just things to check off a list of, yeah, I believe this, and yeah, I believe that, and then, yeah, as a Christian, you're supposed to do this, and you're supposed to do that. It's all in the context of a trusting and a loving relationship. And I'm not sure that he had ever heard that aspect of what it means to have faith. I think up to that point, he thought of faith as something that you had to, you know, kind of intellectually assent to or something that you had to, a box that you had to check. But that at its fundamental core, what we believe, what we do, it's, it's all about the relationship that we have with Almighty God. You see, when those bridesmaids weren't prepared and then they ran off to go buy a bunch of stuff. And then they show up at the wedding late. There's the honest question of like, hey, this, this wasn't just about going and checking the boxes in order to get the oil, in order to gain entrance into the wedding feast. Do we even know each other? You see, my friends, you and I have an opportunity in this life to prepare 
for all of eternity. We're in this for the long haul. And that means it takes devotion and not just emotion. It takes ownership and not just fellowship. It takes trust and not just tasks. And the flip side of saying it would be like this. You can't wing it. You can't borrow it. And you can't fake it. When I was in my first year of of doing ministry at First Presbyterian Church of Houston. I did a lot of weddings. I was the lowest person on the totem pole and I was told that I always had to say yes. And I was doing this off-site wedding in this absolutely spectacular wedding hall um, near downtown Houston. And uh, it was obviously very expensive and they were trying to cut some corners in order to try to make it work. Because one of the things that they had decided to do was to not have a rehearsal And then the other thing that they decided not, you know, that they were going to do to save money is they hired not two limos to get the bridesmaids and the groomsmen to where they needed to be. They just were going to hire one limo. And so they dropped all the groomsmen off about 20 minutes before the wedding. And then they went to go pick up the bride and the bridesmaids. Well, here was the problem. The hotel that they were staying at was a good seven, eight miles away which wouldn't be a big deal if it was midnight and you could just drive the highway. It would be like five o'clock Friday traffic and trying to get through downtown Atlanta. Um, There was no way they were gonna make it. They weren't even gonna be close. In fact, they were 45 minutes late to their own wedding. After about five minutes of it being late, I went in to the wedding hall to address the guests and I went in to to talk to the string quartet and when I went to talk to the leader of the string quartet I said look I don't think they're going to be here for a while if you guys want to stop and just take a break you know feel free to do so and he smiled and he said oh no no you don't need to worry about that we're always ready he had trained he had prepared They had enough music. They had worked together as a quartet long enough that they could put on a spontaneous concert for an hour because they were prepared, not just for the moment of the wedding, but for the long haul. I want to live my life before God with the same diligence, the same devotion, the same ownership, with the same practice, with the same trust. And I'll bet you do too. And so when you walk down the hallway of Peachtree, get a little lesson from this picture. Don't be caught unprepared. You gotta be ready. In fact, literally, the text says, that the readies came in to be with Jesus. Are you ready? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the reminders that we get each and every day of the different dimensions of life and the mystery of what it means to wait on you. Thank you for this harsh and difficult warning, not only to be prepared, but to live our lives in such a way that we are ready for what it means to wait for you and to be delayed.
Thank you for the devotion that is available in Christ and that it's not just some sort of feeling or high. And help us to not just be enthusiastic admirers, but devoted disciples of you. Lord, we're privileged to be a part of a fellowship, but that's no substitute for what we can't truly borrow. We have to own it for ourselves. And I pray for anybody right now who has never really owned their faith. It's so easy, God, to just be kind of caught up in a church or caught up in a Bible study and and yet to hide what our heart truly is before you. And so for the person who needs to say, you know what, it's time for me to own my faith. I want to be ready. May they have the moment right now by your spirit to put their life and their trust in your hands. And Lord, that's exactly what it is. It's trust. It's not a list of things to do. It's not a bunch of tasks. In fact, it's not even specifically things that we have to intellectually assent or believe. It's a loving relationship. Lord, the thing that I want to hear most of all when you open the door of my life is, there you are. I know you. And so God, help us to know and to trust and to love you, to live our lives always ready so that we may come in with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.